Welcome to the ASHP official podcast, your guide to issues related to medication use, public health, and the profession of pharmacy. Welcome everyone. I'm Vicki Vasilika, Director of the Clinical Specialist and Scientist section here at ASHP. And thanks for tuning in for this COVID-19 special edition episode. As we all know, COVID-19 has presented many clinical, operational, and educational challenges in the past year. With that in mind, ASHP is sharing insights and lessons learned presented by your peers from the 2020 Mid-Year Clinical Meeting so that you can incorporate these best practices into your own as we all do our part in caring for our patients. Just some background, Westerly Hospital is a nonprofit, 125-bed community hospital that's affiliated with Yale New Haven Health, and we are located in Westerly, Rhode Island. Um, and this presentation is specifically in reference to our pharmacist-run um, anticoagulation clinic that's located inside the hospital. Um, so the COVID-19 pandemic uh, resulted in extensive changes and closures of a lot of outpatient services um, for most health systems, and this included our pharmacist-run anticoagulation clinic. Um, so in response to the pandemic, the clinic immediately suspended in-person visits. Um, we actually had to relocate um, our physical clinic, and the staff began to work remotely for the majority of um, our days. So the clinic actually had to relocate. So prior to the pandemic, um, we were located just ad adjacent to the emergency department, um, and our patients would come in the same entrance as emergency department patients. Um, and we actually shared a waiting room with the employee health department. Um, so as the pandemic became apparent in our area, it became pretty obvious that this location was not going to be ideal for our patients. So obviously, we didn't really want them to be coming in contact with patients that would be going into the emergency department. Um, and the employee health department had a lot of increased traffic because they were doing various trainings to make sure that the, um, our employees were prepared to deal with the pandemic. So we felt that this space really was just not appropriate for us anymore. And it also was a really an ideal location for the emergency department to use as overflow. And so because of both of those reasons, we started to uh, make adjustments to move our location. Um, so to do that, it required coordination with a lot of departments within the hospital. So first, obviously, we had to coordinate with the facilities department we had to find an alternative location to move to that would be, still be suitable to see patients um, when it was appropriate, and also to coordinate moving all of our furniture and all of the things in our office. So we had um, invested in some bariatric furniture, and it was important to maintain ownership of the things that we had invested for um, our patients. Uh, we also had to coordinate with our IT department to make sure that the phones and the computer and our fax machine removed and set back up so that there was minimal interruption with those communication devices. And we also obviously had to coordinate um, with registration in the front desk to let them know that we had moved so that nobody was erroneously directed to our old location and that they would know where we were going forward. So prior to COVID-19, um, our clinic tested the majority of our INRs via point-of-care testing with a meter in the clinic, so the patient would come straight to the clinic. They wouldn't have to stop at registration prior to this. We would stick their finger, we would go through all of our counseling and our questions, and they would get dosing and follow-up all within the same visit and sent back home. Um, so our plan uh, at the beginning of the COVID-19 pandemic was, was to transition our patients to have their INR 
tested by venipuncture at the lab and to manage them over the telephone. Uh, so right away, we did run into a few barriers. We learned that we had some patients that whose insurance actually didn't cover venipunctures at our health system lab. Um, so we did inquire and try to figure out what the cash cost of that would be. And we realized that was going to be a huge barrier for those patients. Most of them could not afford the cash cost of an INR draw one to four times per month, depending on their testing schedule. Um, so, so realizing that wasn't really going to work for them, we did trial the use of outside lab services, um, which is not something we had really allowed for in the past, just because we felt that it was not the safest method and it was um, really difficult to get results from outside lab. So we did trial it for one patient um, and it really didn't work for us. So the, it actually resulted in a lab error. So the patient's INR came back at one. We felt that that was not consistent with what had been going on recently for him. Um, we also had a delay getting the result, and the patient really didn't have a great experience at that lab. And when we retested his INR the next day, it actually was therapeutic. So we realized to have to go through this process for multiple patients, multiple times per week with the outside lab, really wasn't going to serve our patient well and was not going to be a, a, a useful use of the resources that we did have to be managing this. Um, we also had to manage the increased need for home draw patients. So prior to the pandemic, the lab would draw patients INR in their home if they were homebound. So obviously there was now this really uh, increased population of people who were not leaving their homes. Um, so we coordinated with our outpatient lab services to determine who was now going to be considered homebound and to have the lab go out and draw their INR at their house. All right. So the final outcome, the majority of our patients were actually able to be transitioned to have their INR checked by a venipuncture in an outpatient lab, um, and we would manage them uh, over the telephone with remote staff. Anybody that was sort of ineligible for this plan or really couldn't fit into it, we did allow them to continue to come into the clinic for point-of-care INR checks. But for logistical purposes, we only scheduled in-person visits uh, one day per week, and we use the same pharmacist every day. Um, so to circle back to the patients that were um, having their INR done by venipuncture versus those were, who were coming into um, the lab, or excuse me, into the clinic, um, it was really important to coordinate uh, with our outpatient lab department in this regards as well, because we wanted to make sure that they could handle the increased volume of patients that would be coming in. Um, and it was also important to uh, keep in touch with them to make sure that the lab was remaining open. So we had lab, a lab in the hospital, but there also were labs in the community that the patients would choose to go to. But as the pandemic went on, um, some of the outpatient labs did close or cut their hours. Um, so it was important to remain in constant communication with the outpatient lab so we can provide our patients with the most up-to-date information about where they could go to have their INR tested. And it also uh, was important to communicate this change to the, uh, the front desk in the hospital to make sure it was very clear which patients were going to be going to the outpatient lab and which patients were going to be coming back to be seen in person because we wanted to be sensitive to the fact that we were only allowing this service for patients that really couldn't have their INR done by venipuncture in the hospital. Um, and it was not something we, we wanted to really offer to every patient. Uh, in addition to keeping the patient safe, it was really important to minimize any potential staff exposure and keep our staff safe. So similar to most, most healthcare systems, during the COVID-19 pandemic, the hospital limited 
entrance into the hospital to one main entrance. So the patients were no longer allowed to come in through several different doors. They all had to go through the same front door and they would be screened by our front desk staff. So that meant that they um, were doing temperature screenings and also screening for symptoms. So any patient that would fail that screening wouldn't be allowed to come back into the clinic visit. Um, So that was important to make sure that our staff was not being exposed. And of course, they used the appropriate PPE based on the guidelines um, at the the time. And as they changed, we changed with them as well. Um, We thought that this was important so that if there was any potential exposure, we could make sure that it was really just limited to one person at one time. And we were very happy to say that we did not have any exposures for staff members or patients for the duration of the pandemic. And we also limited um, the in-clinic appointments to one day per week. So this was really important logistically to make sure that first we could we could guarantee that there would be that one pharmacist who's going to be performing in-clinic visits in the building at the time. So it wouldn't make sense to have scattered visits all throughout the week and have to make sure that person was there every single day. So we limited it to one day per week. And that also helped to make it a little bit easier for the front desk staff that we could say, um, we will only be seeing, seeing patients in the clinic on Tuesdays and any other day of the week. Um, if a patient thinks they have an appointment, there might be a mistake that you would still need to communicate to us, but it made it a little bit simpler to just limit it to that one day. So it was really important to make sure that we communicated all of these changes to the patients as efficiently and effectively as possible. So when the decision um, was made to close the clinic to in-person visits, a lot of things moved very quickly. So we had to communicate a lot of changes to all of our patients in a short time frame. So what we did was we created a script for a telephone call so, uh, so that we could have multiple people uh, performing these phone calls. Um, and that way we would have consistent messaging across the board, no matter who was making that phone call, to let the patient know what the changes were and what our plans were going forward. Um, and we also tried to sort of anticipate any questions that they might have and kind of create like a frequently asked questions section so that if staff members create or uh, performing the phone call had a, received a question from the patient, they could have an answer right away. And again, like I said, have consistent messaging across the board so that our patients know that we were all on the same page. After we made those phone calls, we also sent a letter to our patients reinforcing the changes that we discussed on the phone call um, and also reinforcing the change in workflow. So even though we made a point to have uh, telephone contact with everybody. We knew that this was this was a big change for our patients. We were giving them a lot of information. They were, we were asking them to really change what they've been doing for a long time. Um, so we put it all in a letter so they would have that, that hard copy that they could refer to if they were to forget something that we had talked about. And our hope was that that would decrease any repeat phone calls to the clinic to kind of cut down on that extra work. And we were able to uh, utilize the electronic medical record to send the letter to, I would say, about half of our patients. So that cut back on additional administrative work. But if the patients did not utilize the electronic medical record, we did send it in the mail. And to be more efficient, we didn't send the letter to um, patients that this didn't really represent a change for them. So prior to the pandemic, we did have a population of patients that um, due to their work schedule um, or other reasons, they went to the lab on their own. 
Um, and we did have patients that were pre-existing home draws. So if they were already homebound or maybe lived in assisted living. The lab would already go out to them and draw their INR anyway. So we felt that the pandemic actually really didn't change anything for them. So we didn't want to send them a letter um, talking about all these changes when it really didn't impact them. So we're able to be more efficient by excluding them from this workflow. Um, Several weeks after the closure, um, we actually sent another letter. Um, There were lessons that we had learned along the way of things that we had changed and also things we wanted to uh, reinforce for our patients to make them aware of what was going on and just to remain in constant communication. Um, And we also sent an additional letter um, when the clinic was able to reopen at 100% capacity because, again, there were even more changes and changes to our workflow, and we wanted to make sure they were aware of um, the expectations that we were going to have for them. And we saved all of these letters and the phone call and the script and everything. Um, so they were, there'll be templates that, you know, we certainly hope we don't have to close again in the future. But having done all this work now and saving it means that we would be able to do this again in the future much more quickly with less um, upfront work. Um, so there certainly were some communication challenges um, as we transitioned to a different workflow. Uh, So previously we had used a written change of shift handoff um, between clinicians. So for background, our our clinic is open five days per week. Um, We have four pharmacists that are trained to work down there, Um, but we also rotate through the inpatient pharmacy so that it's not consistent coverage within the clinic. So we needed a way to communicate um, issues from provider to provider because it's generally a different provider every day. Um, So we realized um, if the pharmacist was going to be working remotely four out of the five days per week, it obviously did not make sense to have a written uh, change of shift form. And so we uh, transitioned to an electronic change of shift form that we just had on a shared clinic drive that everybody could access. Um, So that made it really easy to communicate things between the clinician that might be in the hospital and the clinician that was working at home. It really sort of simplified things. And we actually liked that so much that we, even after we we reopened, we did save, we continued with that workflow and kept the electronic change of shift rather than going back to a handwritten one. Um, We had a lot of issues in the beginning with uh, the telephone calls. So uh, the remote staff was obviously using their personal phones at home to conduct their visits. Um, So for the staff's privacy um, concerns, they obviously didn't want to be calling patients in a way that their personal phone number would come through, their home phone number, or even to have it come through with your name on it um, really was not something that uh, the providers wanted to do. Uh, So originally we would block the number, uh, but we realized quickly with that the majority of our patients would not pick up block calls. Um, And some of them, even um, their home phones would not accept blocked calls. So we had a a lot of communication issues at the beginning, talking to the patients. Uh, So originally we added that to one of our communications to the patients saying that, you know, some staff may be working in an alternate location. Their phone calls might come through as a blocked number. And if you do see a blocked number coming through, please make every effort to answer it because it might be the clinic. But then we were able to transition to uh, an electronic healthcare provider application that you were able to enroll using your NPI number and you could set up your office phone number. So then you could call the patient on your personal phone using this app and it would actually come through as the number for the anticoagulation clinic. 
Um, so that was helpful because, um, one, it allowed you to call a patient from your cell phone without giving away your number. It removed the need to block the calls. And it also provided um, some more consistency with the patient because they're used to seeing um, the hospital's number come up um, to communicate these issues and they recognize the number and they're much more likely to answer it if they recognize the number. Um, there were some additional challenges with um, having remote staff be able to retrieve voicemails and also figuring out, you know, if we're unable to reach the patient, what number do we tell them to call back? Um, so we actually were able to have our office um, on the days that the pharmacist was working remotely. Um, so we actually had them work out of that office to retrieve voicemails and communicate it to the pharmacist that was staffing that day. Um, and they also could um, answer if we had to leave a voicemail and ask the patient to call us back. They could at least answer it and say, I'll communicate to the pharmacist that you're ready to take their call now and I'll have them call you right back. So it did help to enhance our communication, having somebody that could work out of the office doing an alternate task, but be able to man the phone. And that also was helpful for Central Pharmacy because it enforced social distancing. So rather than that person having to work out of the pharmacy or go back and forth between departments, they could just stay in that one office and not really have to be around too many other people. Obviously, during this time frame, there were going to be patients that were ineligible to come into the lab or come in to see us in the clinic. Um, so there were certain patients who would fail screening into the hospital whether it be for a fever or a worrying, worrisome symptom or maybe even traveling. There were times that they weren't going to be allowed to proceed on to their appointment, but we didn't want to just not check their INR. We wanted to make sure that we um, were able to safety, safely continue monitoring them. Um, there also were patients who could be quarantining for whatever reason, or sometimes they would either be pending the results of their COVID test or they might also need a COVID test at the same time. Um, so for that, we were able to coordinate with um, our, our hospital's COVID testing tent. So a lot of hospitals set up a tent outside um, to do COVID testing. Uh, so we were able to um, piggyback onto that. So if it, our patient uh, reported, you know, I'm going to the tent tomorrow to get a COVID test because I had either an exposure or some, some concerning symptoms, uh, we would reach out to the staff working in the tent and ask that they would also check at INR at the same time. And that was something we were really successful with. And they also were able to accommodate patients who um, maybe were going to fail screening due to travel. And they would just go to the test and have an, an INR test, even if they didn't need a COVID test, um, because they were able to be tested by uh, healthcare providers using the appropriate PPE, considering um, they would be higher risk for whatever reason. Um, we did have some patients that continued to travel during this time frame, which obviously made it difficult to um, arrange to have their INR tested um, if they had gone to what was considered a red state at the time. Um, the recommendations for Rhode Island often was a 14-day was a quarantine. Um, and 14 days, depending on the severity of your INR, um, really can be an inappropriate amount of time to wait. Um, so first of all, for those patients, we would try to make sure they had an INR um, right before they left um, the state that they were in. So if they could have their INR tested the day before they left and it was in range, then it would be safe to put them back out two weeks. Um, and if it wasn't safe, we would have to have them come into the hospital. Um, we did have some patients that just outright refused to 
come in and I have, have their INR tested and they refuse to have patient or have the lab come to their home. So for that, um, first we informed, you know, their referring provider and our medical director. We were in constant communication with him throughout this whole um, closure. We tried to see if they could be transitioned to an alternative therapy. That would obviously be the most ideal thing. Um, and for the patients that continue to refuse, we kept in constant communication with them, um, making sure they were a- they were aware of the risks of noncompliance with their monitoring um, to see if we could kind of sway their decision making and al- also let them know anytime there was a change in workflow to see if that would be able to get them to come back in. Um, and we had a very small su- subset of patients that um, refused monitoring for the duration of um, the pandemic but we remained in constant communication with them and our the referring providers and our medical director. So results, um, we were really happy to, to report that we didn't lose any patients to follow up for the duration of the pandemic. When we did reopen post-pandemic, we were able to get everybody to come back in um, or go to the lab and be, and be checked. Um, something we're really proud of is we were able to maintain our time and therapeutic range above our, our system standard for the duration of our closure. Um, and we also felt that the changes that we adopted during the closure made it much, much easier to reopen. So we had the letters preset. We had the workflow um, already adopted to call all of our patients and send them letters. So when the time came to communicate that we were reopening, it, it was it was much more smoother transition than when we closed. Um, so clinic reopening. We did do a, a slight change in that now we conduct pre-visit screenings. So we call them prior to their appointment. Um, to screen them for any travel or COVID-like symptoms. Um, and again, we would coordinate with the COVID tent for additional testing if needed. Um, all patients have their temperature screened upon arrival to the hospital um, at a central testing location. So if a patient had a fever, um, they don't go any further than the front desk of the hospital. Um, and they let us know that, th- that it happened. And we also, um, you know, we can make sure they have appropriate follow-up as needed. And we also lengthened our appointment times to allow for um, enhanced cleaning in the rooms. So obviously we were wiping down um, between patients previously, but we wanted to make sure we were doing um, an even more enhanced cleaning between each patient. Um, And this also allowed for social distancing. So um, we didn't want to have several patients waiting in the waiting room at one time. We do still share a waiting room with a different department. Um, So we wanted to really just make sure there was only one patient in the waiting room at all times. Um, And an additional change that we made that um, was also really successful um, was allowing the uh, rotation students to to still remain engaged with the clinic. Um, So obviously, when the pandemic really hit, rotation students all were transitioned to be remote as well. Um, And it it sometimes can be difficult to coordinate with a a remote student, but specifically in the anticoagulation clinic, we were able to utilize uh, virtual meetings with the students to do um, both visual and audio participation. Um, so we would get them on the phone so they could hear everything that the patient was saying and also everything that the pharmacist was saying. And then using the virtual meeting platform, they could see our screen so they could see the electronic medical record. They could see everything that we were documenting um, and they could see our progress notes, which allowed them to kind of see what we were thinking and, and follow our train of thought. And we were also able to share our screen and even give control of your screen um, to the learner, depending on where they were in their rotation. You could either have them conduct the visit over the phone and the pharmacist could do most of the computer work, or you could do have the uh, or have the pharmacy student do a lot of the computer work, which we felt was 
an important learning tool. So utilizing virtual meetings um, was really great and allowed us to keep um, our students really engaged in the anticoagulation clinic. So some key takeaways. Uh, the most important thing to us was to provide, to continue to provide high quality patient care through the, the duration of this pandemic. And we felt that we were successful in this, um, given that we were able to maintain our time and therapeutic range above our goal. Um, it was, it's really important to develop and maintain maintain uh, standard operating procedures for changes that you've had to make uh, for future closer closures and or reopenings. Um, so we felt by documenting and saving all of the hard work we did this time around, should it happen again, we would be able to do it much more um, efficiently. And to consider uh, the use of technology to maintain communication um, amongst patients, clinicians, and learners. So I think we've all learned that throughout this pandemic, technology has helped to keep us all together. So it's important to see what kind of technology is available out there and um, try to work it into your workflow if it's gonna make things better for everybody involved. Thank you so much for listening and joining us today for this special edition podcast on COVID-19. Be sure to follow us at ASHP Official wherever you listen to your podcasts and be sure to check out our COVID-19 Resource Center at ashp.org backslash COVID-19 for the most up-to-date developments on COVID-19. Take care and thank you for all you do. Thank you for listening to ASHP Official, the voice of pharmacists advancing healthcare. Be sure to visit ashp.org forward slash podcast to discover more great episodes, access show notes, and download the episode transcript. If you loved the episode and want to hear more, be sure to subscribe, rate, or leave a review. Join us next time on ASHP Official.